The 2019 season officially began this past Saturday night with Florida's 24-20 victory over Miami. It was certainly an entertaining, if not sloppy, way to kick off the season. Now, usually, it's very difficult to make any big-picture judgments based on a single game. But what I saw Saturday night has definitely cemented this thought in my head. Florida and Miami will not be factors in the greater national picture this season. I'm probably not going out on a limb with Miami, considering they began the season unranked and are now minus one in the loss column. But Florida, ranked number eight and coming off a reasonably dominant final stretch to end last season, showed me everything I need to see about them. They can't block anyone, and they can't consistently complete forward passes. That's it. They're done. They have zero prayer to be a nationally relevant team this season. They're just far too easy to defend, and the experience they have at the skill positions cannot make up for what they lack in the trenches and decision-making at quarterback. Florida won that game Saturday night in spite of Felipe Franks, not because of him. So, that means that Florida and Miami will likely not be part of the mega preview episode we have coming up right now. It's that time of year again. We finally made it. The offseason is over. It's game week. We're expecting an interesting season of OU football in 2019, and we're hoping you'll join us here at West of Everest for the entire ride. So let's just dive right in. Welcome to the 2019 college football season. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. No intro today because we've got a lot of big season preview topics to get to. Hey, everybody, I am Lee Benson. Before I bring back Grant, I'm going to run through some housekeeping stuff. Like Grant said in his intro, it is game week, which means we are back to two shows per week. That means you've got all of our season predictions today. Then on Thursday, you'll have our Houston preview right in your podcast player. iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, you can hear West of Everest on all of those platforms. Thanks to all of you who've recently given us five-star reviews and ratings. That's quite awesome. Last week's episode was the most listened-to episode in West of Everest history, which gets me even more excited for what's to come now that the season is basically here. So without any further ado, let's bring back in Grant, who's probably a little bit more prepared for this big season preview than I am, at least when it comes to the national predictions. Grant, how's it going? Pretty well. Just really excited. I'm so happy that the college football season kicked off last night, which would have been Saturday night. We're recording this on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Really, really fun game, I thought, last night between Florida and Miami. I mean, it was a total crap show in, in in a lot of respects with turnovers and whatnot. But really, really entertaining. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch it that closely. I watched the opening drive for each team because I wanted to see Miami's offense. And Miami's offense looked okay the first drive. And then I saw that Florida sort of touchdown, I think, on their first drive on that big play. And then I was working on a story for News 9 most of the day, so I couldn't watch it. I remember seeing the score. I can't remember if it was the third quarter or the second quarter late. And Miami was winning, and I was kind of surprised. And then I saw the final score after it was over with and saw that Florida ended up winning. I know, do you want to, like, we're both, I know you talked about it in your opening take, but I kind of thought Miami was going to win that game for a bit based on, well, not a whole lot because, again, I didn't watch the game. But uh, how did Florida end up winning? Did they just, did Miami's offense just start to be terrible at the end or what? Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, Miami, both the offenses were crap shows. 
Okay. There were turnovers. There not a whole lot of willingness to throw the ball uh, down the field at all. You could tell Miami was really pr- trying to protect Jaron Williams as much as they could. As the game went on, Florida started to get kind of wise to a lot of their swing passes and other screen passes that they're trying to set up. And then Florida was just able to pin their ears back. And so really what actually happened, the reason why Miami relented on the lead is because they just couldn't block anybody. That's why. I mean, Williams was under constant pressure. Ten sacks. He was sacked ten times. Mm. And I don't even I don't even know uh, what the numbers look like in terms of the amount of pressures, but there was a particular guy on Florida, um, number 92, a defensive end for Florida. I think he's he's a fairly new player. He's an underclassman. He he dominated. I, I, I actually want to go back and look at the box. Where I wouldn't be surprised if he had four or five sacks. And I'm dead serious. They just they could not deal with him at all. Um, okay. And then other than that, you know, there was there was a couple times where uh, uh, early in the game, Florida was going in and um, they they fumbled kind of like on an op on an option like play, completely unforced error. And then there was another one later in the later in the first half as well, and just really sloppy football. Uh, terrible tackling as well. Really terrible tackling. But Lee, what actually got Florida back into the game uh, was Miami in the fourth quarter. They they muffed a punt inside their own ten yard line, and uh, it took it took Florida. Oh. Yep, it took Florida. I think four plays to score from inside the ten yard line. Uh, but they uh, they eventually took the lead, and they didn't uh, didn't let it go because I think they got they may have gotten three or four stops up twenty four to twenty in the fourth quarter after that because they just. Uh, you know, Miami just could not get anything going because they couldn't protect their quarterback, and and really for the story of the game for Florida as well as they couldn't they couldn't protect Felipe Franks, and if he is under any sort of pressure, he just crumbles. I mean, he's he is uh, just completely ineffective if he is under any semblance of pressure. Just he's not he's not a particularly good player at all. Can you all tell that Grant's excited for college football to be back? I didn't ask for your life story, Grant, on what happened in that Miami-Florida game, and you just talked about it for about two and a half minutes. I think you're ready for college football. That was only two and a half minutes, huh? (laughs) That seemed like an hour, because I don't think anybody here really cares that much about Miami and Florida. It was a fun game. But thanks for that. And I actually just saw saw it It was ESPN's highest-rated game since 2016. I did see that as well, so there's a good chance that a lot of people listening to this podcast also watched that game. So perhaps they wanted to hear your take. And I think that also pretty much cements. Yeah, it, it cements now. I, there's there's going to be another big time week zero game next week. I or next year, I have to think, mm-hmm. uh, just because they got such huge ratings. So I thought it was great. I, I thought it was a really great way to kick off the season. All right, let's talk about Oklahoma football. Here's the format for our big season preview. We've got the Oklahoma team preview stuff first we have 13 different categories then we're going to do big 12 predictions and previews and then we'll move on to the national stage to end the show so sit back relax and enjoy the takes first topic Grant we always do the leading rusher for Oklahoma in the last couple of seasons it's been like well this is kind of boring because last year this time we thought we both pick Rodney Anderson, no big deal. Obviously, it didn't end up very well. This time, I think it's either going to be Trey Sermon or Kennedy Brooks. So the category that we're going to audible to for this big season preview is who's going to be the leading rusher outside of Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks, and I will let you start off with your prediction. Wait, so say that again. We're, we're actually going to pre- try to predict between the two of them who is going to lead the team in rushing? No, 
the, or who's the most uh, impactful? Sorry. No, right? no. Uh, outside of those two guys, who's the running back that's going to have the most rushing yards? Oh, you, you know what? Yeah. Oh, I did. I just, I yeah. So I prepared for this. So basically, on, who's going to uh, be the third running back for Oklahoma? I yeah. yeah. Oh, it's. I, I think. Well, I think T.J. Pledger is probably going to be given the shot right at the beginning uh, to figure this out. Yeah, I totally read this question wrong, so I'm not prepared for it. We're off this, to a great start. Oh, it's off great. To a great start. It's totally yeah. great. And I was actually plugged in on this too. I just like, I just did not read the question correctly. So. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> okay. I, I thought I thought you were asking between the two Sermon and Brooks who would be the most impactful, and I thought that was kind of an interesting question. Um, Did you not see the word outside of Sermon? And exactly. Brooks? That's that's the funny part. I completely skipped over that word. Okay, I guess I could have done a better job. I should have just wrote who's going to be the number three running back. So I'll take a little bit of the blame too. So you're not particularly prepared for this question. So here's well, what I'll I am. Do. I mean, I, I can say it. it's TJ Pledger is probably going to be given the opportunity at the beginning. I think by the end of the season, it's probably going to be Ramondre Stevenson. Okay. For me, I'm going to go with TJ Pledger as well. As much as I'd like to say uh, Ramondre Stevenson, like you, uh, I'm going to go chalk with this question because I don't know enough of, about Stevenson yet. Uh, the only logical reason I think that I could use to pick Stevenson was because I just really wanted it to be him and I want him to be super impactful because I've kind of bought in like you have like I mean you were you were early on buying into Ramondre Stevenson and I've kind of jumped on the train as far as Pledger goes though he's entering year two he was an early enrollee so he's been through a couple of spring practices a couple of fall camps so far he's more up to speed than Ramondre Stevenson and also Marcus Major and Pledger knows at this point he is the third guy you're right I think he's going to get that first crack at it and the way the running backs go underneath Lincoln Riley, Pledger knows that he could be a solid role player at the drop of a hat. He played in almost every single game last year. He averaged six yards per carry. He's quick. He's fast. Uh, he has all the tools. And we all know he was a big-time recruit as well. So because of all of that, I'm going to go with TJ Pledger as that third running back behind Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon. But every one of the running backs in that room, it seems like, is getting some some high praise so far in fall camp and so that's a position group that's pretty deep it seems as we head into the 2019 season yeah that's a group I'm just just not worried about at all and this is not it's not a knock on TJ Pleasure at all I mean he's he's obviously a quick twitchy guy and I think he can certainly be an impactful dude for OU um, this is more of just how I feel about Stevenson if you just look at his tape he's a big guy and he's explosive and I just think his size and the way that he's able to pull away from defenders um, is going to play really well in the Big 12, especially in the second half of games. Kind of like what, what we've seen the first couple years out of Trey Sermon, except I think Stevenson's got, got a little more giddy-up and a little more explosion to his game. And I, I just think his style is going to work really, really well in the second half of games. Moving on now to who's going to be Oklahoma's leading receiver, which, again, we're going to call an audible because I think both of us would probably select C.D. Lamb for this one. Is that fair to say that's who I'd pick? Is that how you would have picked as well? Yeah, I mean, injuries notwithstanding, it, sure. it would be CD. Yeah. It's just the logical. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. He's a really good player. So we're changing this category to, I guess I could have done, like, aside from Lamb, who are you going to take? But I think maybe we would have taken, like, Calcaterra. Or, I, I yeah, mean, I would have taken Calc, yeah. I mean, I've heard Charleston Rambo thrown out there, which, okay, you know, like maybe maybe he'll come up later in this podcast. But I decided to go with which true freshman – pass catcher because we'll include basically we're including a guy like Austin Stogner too which true freshman pass catcher will have the most impact so that's what we're going to go with here instead of just the leading receiver and since you kind of went first last time even though you weren't particularly prepared for the question I'll go first this time 
Despite what uh, you know, you might you might remember Dusty Dvorak a couple weeks ago talking about Jaden Hazelwood, and he mentioned that Hazelwood's been fantastic in fall camp, and he didn't get a whole lot of talk during the spring. He's an early enrollee with with also with Trajan Bridges and Theo Weiss and, and Austin Stogner. Uh, so despite hearing that positive stuff about Hazelwood, I'm going to stick to my guns with this particular question. Or, or talking about receivers and impact freshmen. I'm going to go Trajan Bridges as the wide receiver who's going to contribute the most out of that group. And I noticed the other day that Trajan's dad, Jack, he liked one of my tweets recently. And I clicked on the profile just to kind of investigate to make sure that it was Trajan's dad. And uh, I saw that at the top of his Twitter, he had a pinned story about Trajan Bridges. And it was a local news story from Dallas about how Trajan was the best wide receiver to ever come through his high school, which is Hebron. And in the story, Trajan says that the Sooners, when they were recruiting him, they pitched to him that he could come to Oklahoma and be like a Sterling Shepard or a Kenny Stills type. And it sounds like that's a big reason why he was sold. So uh, the kid in the spring game, he looked polished. He'd only been on campus very briefly. I thought he showed some early rapport with Jalen Hurts in that spring game as well. And uh, I do like Bridges to carve out a nice little role in that crowded wide receiver room. Grant? Who is your selection for this category? Yeah, I think the general consensus with this question is is Bridges is going to be the guy out of the three freshman receivers. And you can you can throw Stogner in there as well. Um, that, that's going to see the biggest impact this season. And I think that's probably correct. Um, he's the guy that you consistently hear mentioned with um, in terms of success and practice and scrimmages and whatnot. Um, and yeah, this is a guy who in in his in the camp settings going against the best players in the country, a guy who always just kind of showed up and dominated in those settings. And he's a guy who can go up and make contested catches. Um, I think I had said during the spring game, actually watching him play live, he reminded me a lot of Kenny Stills, a lot of Kenny Stills in his game. And uh, add a freshman Kenny Stills to this offense, and I think we're all going to be pretty happy. Um, <laughs> but I, I just I, I want to throw Trajan out there too because I think. Um, Trajan Bridges, I think, is is certainly up there on like the all name team in the country. His name is really cool. Yeah, Not that that, that matters, but I know a quick quick history oh, lesson it, for everybody. It might matter. Quick history lesson: Trajan, because I think that's a really cool first name. That is actually Latin in origin, um, and it would be mostly uh, referred to with Emperor Trajan of the old Roman Empire. Oh my God! Did so, not anticipate. I did not anticipate a history lesson. <laughs> from you on this spot that's pretty good and that fun yeah how much time did it take you to find that out not really i was I've, I've, it's kind of always been in my uh like been in the back of my mind whenever whenever someone says his name i always instantly think of you know that's pretty Emperor good Trajan. yeah i was I, I went through a really weird like roman history binge this past winter so that's that's why all right, next category. We're going to switch over to the defense for a little bit here, and we're going to keep this category in. We always do this one. We're going to go leading tackler, and I think the defensive categories for this preseason big preview prediction podcast are a little more interesting now because we have a new defensive coordinator, and, and we have some new players at certain positions as well. So, Grant, the leading tackler for Oklahoma in 2019 will be who? Lee, I'm going to go with the flyer here. I think it's going to be Delaren turner Yell. And so I definitely concede that Kenneth Murray is probably the safe the safe pick here and is probably the most likely to lead the team in tackles. Uh, but a safety led Washington State in tackles in 2017, Grinch's last year there. 
and I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw DTY out there this year because I think he's gonna rotate in the box an awful lot this year, um, and, and hopefully clean up a lot of those running plays. Lee, I'm gonna go with Turner Yell. What do you think All about right. that? No, I, I I like the bold pick, and sounds like we did the same thing. I went back and looked at the three years Grinch was at Washington State as well, and yeah, in 2017 Grinch's last year the. Leading tackler was the strong safety, which is what Delarian Turner Yell is going to play. And that guy, his name was Jalen Thompson. And in fact, two of the three leading tacklers in 2017 for Washington State were secondary players. But here's the thing I'm going to be boring here, and I'm going to say Kenneth Murray because in two out of the three years where Grinch was uh, at Washington State, the Mike linebacker led the Cougars in tackles. And that wasn't in 2017, obviously. That was in 15 and 16 with Peyton Pilleur. And that player was the heart and soul of that defense during Grinch's tenure there. And in addition to later on, Hercules Mata'afa. And Kenneth Murray, he's supposed to be the heart and soul of Oklahoma's defense. He's the preseason Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. And let's see. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Murray. And I just wanted to bring this part up, too. And, and just kind of looking back. Because did you look back at 2016 and 2015 as well for tackles? Yeah, at I Washington? did. Okay, so... I just wanted to, to bring this up again because we, we talked about this a while back, maybe once or twice, but the, the number of tackles that Murray and Curtis Bolton were credited for last year was just insane. Murray had 155 tackles. Curtis Bolton had 142, which was – I'm not sure if Murray – was. I think Murray might have led – did he lead the nation in tackles or he was up there? I mean, no, was, no. he was. Uh, I think they were both top ten, but – I don't think either of them were top five in the country. I'd have to look. I should have looked that up. But I mean, they were up there pretty high, maybe the most in the Big 12, something like that. So I was like looking at the, the leading tackler for Washington State, though, in those three years. And so in 2015, Puller, the linebacker, had 101 tackles to lead the team. In 2016, it was Puller again. He had 93. Then in 2017, when a strong safety led the team in tackles, he led it with 73. And so basically what I found, or I think what we decided, is that Oklahoma gave out way too many assisted tackles to Murray and Bolton last year. They I mean, I'm had, sure they also had to, I'm sure they defended a lot more plays. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if OU defended the most plays in the country last year or had the most plays ran against them in the country last year. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they gave up maybe. a lot of long drives. There were, especially in the beginning of the season, the first half of the year, there were, I mean, that was basically the entire Texas game. Four yards here, six yards here, you know, just, you know, 10, 11, 12 play drives. I mean, just even in the Army game alone, what, how many, how many like 18 plus play drives did they have? Yeah, Army had, a, I mean, what did Army run over 100 plays in that game, I think? And, I mean, OU was on the field defensively for two thirds of the game, which is exactly what Army wanted. Yeah, I mean that, that that certainly does factor in. I'm sure there's I, I you know, I'm sure there's a, a lot of different factors that go into it. And I'm sure one of the large factors is the amount of plays they defended, but I'm sure it also has to do with how they gave out tackles as well. I mean, each guy had eighty four assisted tackles, both Bolton and Murray. And just for comparison's sake, when Pilleur led Washington State in twenty fifteen with hundred and one tackles, only forty four of them were assisted. So roughly about half of what uh, Murray and, and Bolton were credited for. So I'm just kind of curious to see if Oklahoma goes crazy again with assisted tackles in 2019. We'll see. That's kind of so, but we both, so you go with Tulare and Turner. Yeah, I go with Kenneth Murray for leader and tackles. Okay, interesting. Let's go over to sacks. Stay with the defense. 
Who's going to be Oklahoma's sack leader in 2019? I'll start with this one. I think it's going to be, I think we might have the same answer here, but I think it's going to be either Neville Gallimore or Ronnie Perkins. And we talked a lot about how Gallimore has a chance to have kind of a similar impact in this defense as Hercules Mata'afa did at Washington State. And two of the three years that Grinch was at Washington State, Mata'afa led the Cougars in sacks. And so the thing about this, though, about that player, Mata'afa, is that he was listed as a starter at defensive tackle for some games and he also started at end for some games and I haven't watched every single game closely but based on the fact that Mata'afa wasn't locked in as an inside player or defensive end every single game it kind of makes me think that Grinch got creative with him moved him around every once in a while so the question is will he do that with a player like Gallimore or a player like Perkins and it kind of makes more sense to me that he would maybe do that more with Gallimore because he's more capable of playing on the inside and Perkins isn't quite as big and then maybe you know what if they bump Gallimore kind of outside every once in a while just to kind of mess with the offense a little bit so I'm just we're all we're both super curious see how they they use this defensive line but I'll go with Gallimore as the team leader in sacks but I think it's gonna be gonna be between those two guys what do you think uh, you know what? I thought this was going to be a flyer. I did not anticipate you to actually mention Gallimore, but I think I think it is going to be Gallimore. Um, I don't think it's going to be a massive number. Um, I'll say I'll even throw one out there. I'm, I'll say like around eight, I think will lead the team this year. But I also think they're going to have a handful of guys between like five and eight sacks. Um, I feel I feel fairly confident in the pass rush this season. I think that's I think that's going to be the unquestioned strength of the defense this year. Boy, that would be a great change, wouldn't it? Pass yeah. rush, getting yeah. pressure I mean, on the quarterback, making real big people deal. uncomfortable. They rushed the passer fairly well in the in the first half of the year last year, and then they just stopped. They they stopped blitzing and, and sending creative blitzes, um, assuming because they didn't feel like they could hold up on the back end. But you know, when when, when they brought extra guys last year, they they certainly were were affecting the quarterback. All right, let's switch back over to the offensive side of the ball for our next category. Beside Jalen Hurts, who is the quarterback, and you could just do this with every single year, besides whoever plays the quarterback for Oklahoma, who's going to be the most important offensive player, Grant? Lee, I'm, I'm going to cheat here a little bit because I'm going to say a tie, but it's, it's the first player here that I'm going to uh, mention that's the most important. Lee, I'm going to say Charleston Rambo. And oh, wow. here's why. Okay. Here's why. That's a flyer. Because, I, because I think he's replacing the impact of Hollywood who I would say last season, besides Kyler, was the most important player on the offense. And that oh. is the role that Rambo is stepping into this year. And I don't, he is, he's not going to be as good as, as Marquise Brown. That's, just, that's not going to happen. Um, but if Rambo can, can, you know, can go out there and be an impactful player, I think that's going to go a long way to making sure that this offense uh, doesn't lose a lot of its effectiveness from last season. And uh, the other one, the tie, I was going to say, whoever plays left tackle, um, because if left tackle is solidified, I think this offense can be unstoppable once again. And that's in relative terms. They're not going to be as good as they were last year. Um, but, of course, there's, there's varying degrees of unstoppable, and I've, I think if the left tackle is, is solid, this, this offense is, is just is going to be unbelievable in all likelihood again. All right, I like those picks, and I like you going outside the box a bit with Charleston Rambo because, as we know, it's an incredibly important part of any kind of offense is you got to have somebody that's able to stretch the defense and and get the secondary a bit uncomfortable and which opens up space for other plays and other players here and there so Rambo's an interesting pick speaking of left tackle 
our last podcast, we recorded it before the offensive coaches talked last week. And Bill Biedenboe spoke on Wednesday of last week, and he was directly asked about Eric Swenson, who is who we've been thinking or who's been the presumed starter at left tackle. And Biedenboe said, he, quote, he's fine. So we had uh, talked about the Football Brainiacs report about how he's been banged up. And so uh, Biedenboe didn't didn't seem too worried about Swenson. Uh, and they, then, were, they, weren't, they weren't the only ones who was talking about him, him being hurt okay. either. So, I mean, it's... it's they're I don't know what they're doing but Eric Swinson certainly was dealing with injuries so I I I hope I I can take that as that he'll be fine for for next Sunday but who knows right yeah I mean who knows what I mean fine can mean so many different things but uh that's just for the record Bill Biedenboe was asked directly and, and his quote was he's fine but he didn't really go into any more details about it but he did talk about Swinson's recruitment and talked a little bit more about that kind of stuff so anyways that just wanted to get that out there my answer to the most important offensive player besides Jalen Hurts, I'm going to go with Creed Humphrey uh, for the same reasons I've said in the past. Uh, you know, he's one of the best offensive linemen in the country, and he plays such a crucial position because he's tasked with bringing this new offensive line all together. And the reason I think he's the most important is because he's connected to the, the most important parts of this offense, his linemen, brethren to his left and to his right. And also, of course, Jalen Hurts, who's going to need all the help and all the guidance he can get. And Humphrey, along with Bill Biedenboe, those guys are the key to getting this inexperienced offensive line to gel and then becoming dominant once again. And talking to Adrian Ely last week when the offensive guys go, by the way, he's great to talk to. He's, you can tell he's incredibly confident, really excited for his chance to start and, and play some snaps and be the next really good tackle for Oklahoma. It sounds like he's going to be the right tackle. Uh, Ely was talking about how he told me that their goals this year are to be not only just as good as the offensive line last year, which obviously it would be incredible but he actually wants to be better than them so he's got a high standard as you might expect uh, but he's been in this program now this is his third year he's seen these great players come through he's ready to prove himself and he probably sees that the talent and the recruiting they've had they have the ability to be really good again and so that dude's incredibly confident so uh, that's Adrian Ely I think he's obviously very important as well but the answer to this category for me is Creed Humphrey I think we might we might see some really just some some future potential stars uh, emerge on the offensive line this year. I, I I think Ely and Marquise Hayes are are going to be absolute monsters. I, I'm really excited to watch them play. And you know, there's going to be some kinks to work out for sure. In, in you know the beginning parts of the season, like there usually always is with an offensive line with so much turnover. But these guys are hungry. They're athletic, and they've been kind of waiting in the wings for a while to play and. These guys have a lot of capability. I'm excited to watch them. Next category, sleeper impact player on the offensive side of the football. I'll start with this one. I'm going to go Nick Basquin here for kind of the same reasons a bit why I selected Trajan Bridges earlier for uh, one of the earlier categories. I like Basquin's rapport with Jalen Hurts in the spring game. He had four catches in that one from Hurts. He looked healthy. Now he's had a little more time in the summer to get stronger as he comes off back-to-back Achilles tears which is which is just crazy he's back out there he's a guy that's kind of in in need of or do of some good luck this upcoming season so I'm going to go with Nick Basquin as as a guy in that crowded receiver room actually going to carve himself a role and be kind of one of those players not a lot of people are talking about because he just hasn't played a whole lot in the last couple he hasn't played at all in the last couple of years really uh so I'm gonna I think he kind of qualifies as a sleeper on offense so I'm gonna go Basquin Grant what do you think 
I like that pick. That's good. I th- I think that's certainly like the quintessential sleeper. Because uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, everyone kind of kind of forgets about Basquin, and because there's just they have so many options on the offensive side of the ball, and so uh, it's it's kind of tough to find someone just because there's so much to choose from. So Lee, I am actually going to go with Austin Stogner as a red zone target. I think I think they're going to use him this year. I just I I was I was way too impressed with what I saw of him in the spring game. That's a really huge target that has mm-hmm. a lot of body control and good hands. And I think that can go a long way. And I think he's going to be, you know, I think he's going to be out there a lot inside the 20s. I think he might he might catch a handful of touchdown passes this year. And I think that qualifies perfectly as a sleeper. Yeah, absolutely. Stogner along with Lee Morris and Grant Calcaterra at that wide position. I, a, I, I even thought group. about even thought about throwing Lee Morris in there too, just because, hey guys, this dude's a really good college football player. Remember yeah. him? And yeah. he's back too. Yeah, I mean, he would certainly qualify as well. Because yeah, not a whole lot of talk about him. You know, most of the talk is about Ceedee Lamb and then the all the freshmen and kind of Morris and even Charleston Rambo kind of gets thrown to the side. But uh, you know, everyone likes new shiny things. That's probably why. And plus, they're five much of five star guys. That's why they're going to get talked about. But uh, that's a good pick as well. Let's go back over to the defense for uh, for one more or for the next category. Then we'll switch back over to the offense. We're going to stick with the sleeper type players. And so we just did the offense. Now let's do the sleeper impact player. On the defense, and I went first last time, so I'll let you go ahead and and take your first shot at this category. I think it would be super easy just to throw out like Leron Stokes there, but I think the sort of the talk and the chatter behind him is a little too strong now for him to be a sleeper at this point in time. And Lee, so I'm going to go with I'm going to go with someone else that Alex Grinch mentioned in his his most recent media availability, and I'm going to go with the true freshman Marcus Stripling. Um, Alex Grinch singled him out by name without even really anybody asking, right? Um, right. And that's always a good sign. If you follow, if you follow fall camp and the preseason stuff, um, whenever somebody is mentioned, you know, out of turn and it's not prompted, that's typically a really good sign. And I just, you well, know, the question was about who's, uh, you know, opposite of Ronnie Perkins, kind of at the rush linebacker spot, and then he kind of went into a whole thing about. Perkins and then he brought up Stripling so sure. it was a and question he, about the defensive line and slash linebackers but I get your point well sure and then but I mean there's there's plenty of other guys who have been on campus there that he could have talked about instead he talked about the the true freshman that just came in in June mm-hmm. talking about how his ceiling is very very high um, he's at what he's at like 6'3 260 right now he's absolutely playing size so that's not a concern as a true freshman um I think he's probably going to be a guy that they're, you know, they're going to throw out there and, and probably just in pass rush situations. And we'll see if that quick titch or quick, quick uh, twitch athleticism will will produce some havoc. And I think I think we might see that. We're, we're definitely going to see some Marcus Stripling this year. All right, I'm going to go a different route with my sleeper impact uh, player. Actually, I have players. I'm cheating a bit. I have two, but I'm staying in the same the same not. Yeah, kind of position group, the, the same level of the defense, we'll say. And their roles are, are pretty similar. They have almost the same kind of role. And I'm going to go with Dylan Famatahu and Marquez Overton. And I don't recall hearing much talk at all about either one of these guys during fall camp, which could make this a terrible sleeper pick or picks. Or this could be like the ultimate true sleeper pick of these two players. And they're just they're two somewhat veteran guys. Definitely Overton. He's a fifth year senior. He's played 35 games for OU. Obviously looking to to end his career on a high note. Famatahu's entering his third year at Oklahoma. He's played in every single game 
during his career. Hasn't missed a game at all yet. They're depth guys. I know that. Uh, and, and just I'm hoping that they're going to benefit from Grinch in this new scheme. And we talk a lot about the defensive line, how we're excited about it. They, and, and they're part of this group. I'm curious to see what their roles are. And so I'm going to pick both of those guys as players that we're not talking about, but could actually show out a couple times this season and be like, oh, okay, I'm glad those guys are on the team. Yeah, those are two guys I'm actually really interested in. I'm a little more bullish on Marquez Overton, uh, just frankly, because when he's been in there over the years, and of course he's dealt with injuries, I just think he's been more impressive than than Dylan Famatau. Um, I just I, I just never notice Famatau at all. He just he just always kind of seems like a big body who is out there and doesn't move particularly well. So who knows? Maybe him dropping some weight, which I you know he reportedly has done, and and getting in better shape, so they can you know play this aggressive attacking style defense. Maybe that'll open the floodgates for him. Uh, but I certainly hope you're right. I mean, those are two very valuable experience pieces in the middle of the defense there. Um, and if they can have really impactful senior seasons, you know, watch out for this defensive line, which we all think is, is going to be a legitimate strength of this team. All right, moving back over to the offense, and we're kind of going back and forth offense, defense with these categories here. We're going to go to the freshman. Freshman impact player on the offensive side of the ball, and I'll start with this one. And since I already used Trajan Bridges earlier uh, for a different offensive category, I'm going to go with a guy you've already mentioned in this podcast, Austin Stogner, for this one, and just kind of add on to what you talked about earlier when you were describing Stogner and, and why you you have him as your impact uh, player on or uh, sleeper player on offense. I believe is what you had him. You know, Shane Beamer talked this past week, said a bunch of great things about Austin Stogner. You mentioned the spring game, and you know that stood out big time. Got a couple of passes from Jalen Hurts. Uh, he he caught Hurts' best throw of the night on that corner route near the sidelines, where Stogner was able to make the catch, keep his feet in. That was a great play. And yeah, I mean he's he's that big body player. He's listed at six foot six. He's he's able to he runs pretty well for his size, and he's got good body control for a freshman. He's, he seems like he's a kind of ahead of his time a bit. So. I'm kind of with you. I can see Lincoln Riley designing ways to get him the football in the red zone. Maybe also just at times when Oklahoma needs to move the chains and they think that a jump ball type situation or maybe a situation where they need a big guy to box somebody out is the right move. So I'm excited to see how this guy fits in with the offense. Uh, absolutely, yeah, because he's he's he could be a, a massive weapon at certain times this year for Lincoln Riley and Jalen Hurts. He's a matchup nightmare, and that's what that's what football really is about in 2019. Spreading guys out, finding your best matchup, and then throwing dudes open. I mean, that's that's what it is. That's how you win. So uh, I think Stogner could certainly be a weapon in that regard. Um, so let's see. I've already I've already said Stogner. I've already said Bridges. So that essentially just leaves Weiss, Hazelwood, and Marcus Major essentially on offense to pick between those. That sounds about right. Yeah, how about this? I, th I think Marcus Major is probably going to redshirt. I don't know how much we're going to see of him. And I think Theo Weiss and, and Jaden Hazelwood are probably going to play in every single game this year I think it'll probably take them a while to come on as sometimes it does for true freshmen at the college level but I think they're probably going to make some you know some noise this year at some point in time and then be ready for a huge 2020 season you know Marcus Major's intriguing I mean, mainly because he's a local kid here in Oklahoma City he went to Millwood High School and there hasn't been a whole lot of talk about him in fall camp but I'm hearing buzz and I think from some of the media guys that I talked to and uh, I know the Sooner Scoop guys talked about him a little bit, I think, on one of the recent podcasts about how actually Major is a guy that is a lot better than maybe we 
we know and is kind of flying under the radar a bit, but actually could have all the skills and, and the skill set to be a player that if he gets the opportunity, maybe he won't uh, let it slip away even as a true freshman. And, and it could be a situation where Riley's like, gosh, this guy's pretty darn good and I got to give him the ball more. And so I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it makes sense to say that, yeah, I'll probably redshirt this year because he has so many people ahead of him in theory. But he's just one of those guys. I'm not really quite sure what we're going to get from him. I don't think he's going to get the first crack at early anything. But, you know, who knows? Who knows? That That's an interesting player that uh, kind of keep your eye on moving on. And, and whenever he gets in the game, we'll definitely kind of square in to see, you know, how does he look? How smooth is he running? How fast is he? His physical, uh, his physical style of running. I'm just, yeah, he's a guy along with Ramondre Stevenson, obviously. We haven't seen before. Uh, and so... He also doesn't have yeah. a lot of tread on those tires either. True. The, you know, the talk True. being that he was just criminally underutilized in, in high school. Which, I mean, that's kind of, you think, oh, man, that's ridiculous. But now it's great because we all know about, we all know about running backs. You, they can only carry the ball a certain amount of times, it would seem, in their lifetime. So the, the less, I guess the fewer carries, the better, really, because you much rather get more carries at a higher level than, uh, you know, than in high school. So... That could be a benefit to him. All right, where are we? We're uh, uh, more freshmen. Okay, so we're on to the freshman impact player on defense now. Uh, I think I went first last time, so Grant, I'll let you kick this one off. All right, so of course I use Stripling uh, for my sleeper impact on defense. So I will go to another freshman that I'm actually pretty excited about, and I think I think this is the other guy, the other true freshman who who is probably going to get some run here early on. And Lee, that sounds like Jaden Davis, the true freshman quarter, cornerback. Um, been some reports that he's been running with the ones just a, a little bit. I, I don't think he's a starter at all, but he has been getting some run with the ones. Lee, watching the uh, the Miami uh, Florida game on on Saturday night. I noticed, uh, I, I think, maybe Miami's best defensive player, or, you know, the best player in their secondary for sure. They have a couple really good linebackers. Uh, is, is a guy by the name of Trajan Bandy. And uh, he, at Wait, one point in time... another yeah, Trajan? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, spelled differently, actually. Oh. But he, at one time, was an Oklahoma Sooner commit. And he's really fun to watch play. He is just a bulldog out there. And... The little I've seen of Jaden Davis watching his high school tape, they look like really similar players. So I'm basically saying, man, if if they can, if um, and of course I'm sure they're they're different, and there's a lot of a lot of factors that go into that. But ah, it's 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 fun kind of having like an undersized guy out guy out there who has that bulldog mentality and just doesn't care and punches you right in the face and talks trash, which ban- which Bandy did like the entire game. Um, I don't know. That that kind of feels like maybe maybe Jaden Davis has a little bit uh, little little bit of that in him, and I think you, you you sort of need that in a secondary. And of course, you can only do that if you actually if you know if you back it up, which this secondary has certainly not been able to do the last handful of seasons. All right, I'm going to go with a uh, secondary player as well for my pick. And a couple of shows ago, I kind of called my shot that I think eventually Jeremiah Cradell is going to be the starting nickel. You know, Brendan Radley Hiles praised him a couple of weeks ago, yet I, I don't really recall Alex Grinch saying a whole lot of, about Cradell, if, if anything, during camp. Uh, that being said, though, I'll stick to my guns. I'll select Cradell as my freshman impact player. Although, you already mentioned him, but based on what we heard from Grinch last week, yeah, Marcus Stripling might be the best bet for this category because, again, it sounds like he's a little further ahead of 
of where maybe a lot of freshmen are at this point, and he's kind of working alongside or, or maybe repping in and out with Ronnie Perkins at defensive end. So maybe Cradell is the, the best bet there, but uh, I'll, I'll stick to my guns and, and say uh, – or Stripling is the best bet, rather, but I'll stick with my guns and go with Cradell just because uh, I talked about him a couple weeks ago. But uh, that's interesting, Jaden Davis, because I, yeah, I haven't read that or heard about him running with the ones. I mean, the other cornerback, aside from Motley and Brown, has is, is been um, – Jordan Parker. Jordan Parker, yeah. So. And, you know, at, at this time of the season, Lee, we're, we're always just kind of throwing stuff against. I mean, we haven't seen him play a game, so we have to go off of rumors, what we've heard. We have to read between the lines with some of the stuff that coaches have said during press conferences. Um, you know, I mean, this is this is mostly just to talk about the guys that are on the team. And it's just an exercise in that. All right, that's all the individual player categories we have. So now we're on to more overarching Oklahoma team type predictions and the first one up is uh, we like to do this every time look, look at the schedule we think okay where could Oklahoma's trap game be like a game where Oklahoma overlooks somebody and they don't play very well and maybe lose to a team they're not supposed to lose to and I'll begin here and I think for both of us it was a difficult category because I think the past couple of seasons we've done this podcast it's been kind of easy I think to find one or maybe even two trap games on the Sooners schedule but this year I look at Oklahoma slate and it seems like the Sooners should be should be ready for everybody they're supposed to be ready for but all right so that being said I got to pick something I'm going to go with October 19th home against West Virginia as Oklahoma's trap game here's the scenario Sooners coming off Oklahoma Texas now if Oklahoma loses that game this is not going to be a trap game the Sooners will be super focused because they're not going to want to obviously lose a the game after OU Texas if they lose to Texas but let's say they beat Texas they're feeling themselves you know maybe Oklahoma's still unbeaten coming in coming back home to face the West Virginia team who just lost like all of their offensive weapons from 2018 including obviously quarterback and now they know the quarterback Austin Kendall they played with this guy a lot of them they kind of know what he's about they probably feel comfortable like oh yeah we know exactly what Kendall is we can come in and, and beat this guy up yeah, I can kind of see Oklahoma taking taking West Virginia lightly, and you know maybe Neil, you know Neil Brown pulls a rabbit out of his hat, and Kendall has a huge game, and something really weird happens. So I'm going to go with uh, West Virginia on October 19th. What about you? Well, I'll give you mine, but I want to comment on that one first. Um, I don't know. I, I I can see where you're going, and I know you're just kind of throwing stuff stuff uh, you know stuff against the wall, but. I don't know. I, I think West Virginia is going to be bad this season. So I just I don't see that as a I, I don't think West Virginia is going to be capable of, of beating Oklahoma in any shape, way or form. Um, they're just, they, they, they have the look of, of a team that's that's going to have kind of a bit of a of a year zero under, under Neil Brown a little bit. Just graduated a lot of guys, a lot of transfers. Um, the Will Greer and the receivers he had that group of guys. I mean, that was. Uh, statistically, maybe one of the more decorated classes of West Virginia football players ever. All those guys are gone. I, West Virginia is going to really stink this year, and like their <laughs> and their schedule is uh. is legitimately is is kind of tough too. They they open against FCS James Madison, but then week two they go on the road at Missouri, and then uh, week three they have NC State at home. Um, they do, and then they open the Big Twelve slate with Kansas, so they get that game out of the way right at the beginning and then I think you know their eight remaining games in the Big 12 after that I think they're playing teams that going into the season are better than they are 
And I, I think I think West Virginia is certainly in for kind of like you know, a three and nine type season. I think they're gonna really suck. <laughs> okay, just just all in on West Virginia. Just yeah. just throw them in the garbage in in late August. Actually, you threw them in the garbage back in July. So maybe even in June. But anyway, so <laughs> my trap game though, and you're right. I mean, it, it's it's kind of a little tougher this year because if we're being objective about it, OU's schedule this year is not incredibly daunting. This is a very manageable schedule. It just is. It, you know, it's it's pretty easy to look at it and think it kind of comes down to, you know, the second weekend of October in Dallas, kind of like it does a lot of the time. Um, but anywho, I actually went with uh, week three at UCLA. Second year under Chip Kelly, they have really speedy skill players. It's possible they would, you know, it's possible the defensive line overpowers UCLA's mediocre offensive line. But with kind of the speedy skill players they have, it's possible to an extent to scheme around that. And yeah, I could certainly see the UCLA team flying under the radar. It's going to be an experienced team. They bring back pretty much everybody. Um, it's a it's a new defense that could be susceptible to to speed and misdirection and maybe giving up some big plays every now and then just because of how aggressive they are. And I could certainly see Chip Kelly finding out a way to leverage that. All right, and also you throw in the fact that Oklahoma's got to travel kind of cross-country. I mean, they got to make that trip to to Los Angeles and different time zones and how much you buy into that kind of stuff. It's an evening game, so I don't think that's going to be... It's a night game, so yeah, it's like yeah. I think it kicks off at like 5 o'clock California time because I think it's a 7 p.m. Central time kick. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's going to be a huge issue. But, you know, very first road game for Jalen Hurts as OU starter with the new offensive line, their first game on the road as well. I know UCLA doesn't have, you know, a huge reputation for making the Rose Bowl incredibly loud when they have a when they have a home game there. But it's possible that when OU is in town, it it definitely generates a little more buzz and interest amongst UCLA fans, and they could pack the joint a little bit. So first road games on the season are, are not always really easy. And OU, of course, they have not lost a, a true road game since the first weekend of October in 2014. But Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray were their quarterbacks in all of those games that they haven't lost. And you know, Yeah, that's we'll a good one. Yeah. That, that's a good one. I, uh, I You know, I've probably been looking at the UCLA game with more of just like, yeah, I, I have, I've been taking them lightly. I have not looked that far ahead to UCLA, but at the same time I see that on the schedule, I think, yeah, that, that should be a win for Oklahoma. I think that's a good pick. A couple other candidates I had for this, though. I didn't have the UCLA game, but I was thinking maybe maybe Kansas State, October 26th, that Kansas State, because I think we both like Chris Kleiman, their new coach, and I think the offense – the offense has got to be better for Kansas State now that Bill Snyder is gone because it was just – it might as well have been running some sort of veer wishbone. I mean, they didn't do that, but it was a high, heavy running game, and it just – I I'm mean, actually, Oklahoma had success against that offense uh, somewhat last year. Really curious to see what they are going to do with that offense as well because, you know, at NDSU – you could argue that they, the Bison actually did run. They were a running team, yeah. Yeah, did it, and they, and they probably did some stuff that, that Kansas State was doing under Snyder. So Maybe, yeah. I'm sure a lot of the stuff is, is not going to be completely foreign to them. Um, but no, I mean, this the, the Kleiman, I, I think the Kleiman uh, era at Kansas State, it's, it's going to have to be another cultural rebuild. I think he's going to want to remake that team in his image, and that's going to take a while. They do have some, they have some experience coming back, especially along their defensive front. Which is why, which is what I think is going to prevent them from being 
like you know really bad this year. I think they're def- they're probably going to be able to get some stops on defense at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I I fully expect them to struggle on offense this year. Uh, Skylar Thompson is, you know, he's he's not a he's not a bad college football player, but he's he's really just a guy. He's better than Alex Delton, which is all Kansas State oh, fans absolutely. probably care about this he point. Is, he is very, very much better than Alex Delton. All right, let's go to the next category, and this is a category that you kind of added in the last couple days, and this is maybe we've done this the past two years. I forgot. If, if we have, I haven't put it down, but this is a good one. So you want to go worst case, best case scenario, and that's fair. I mean, because it's one of those things, how creative can we get <laughs> with these scenarios? So... Worst case scenario, uh, do you want to go first? Do you have some creative things you want to get off yeah. your chest with this? Go for well, it. I don't know. I, okay, so I, and I, I want to try to be re- like realistic about this stuff too, stuff that like could actually happen. I don't want to just throw a ton of hypotheticals out there. But Lee, I think OU's kind of worst case scenario this year is probably 9-3, and three, right? 9-3 and three in, in that range. And if that happens, it's probably because the offensive line doesn't gel completely or there's injury problems, or Jalen Hurts is not a super impactful passer, kind of along those lines. And of course, the defense doesn't completely come together. Um, and I could certainly see them getting burned on the road every now and then. Jalen Hurts not able to uh, to bail them out in those situations like Kyler and Baker were able to. And uh, like 9-3, you know, and three, which is not a terrible season, but judging by the standards of Oklahoma, it would certainly feel kind of like a disastrous season, wouldn't it? Um, yes. And it's and I think it's most certainly within the realm of possibility, but I do think it is it, it is under the worst case scenario. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I have all the same notes that you did, with the exception of I think worst case scenario is an eight and four type year. Oklahoma loses. Which isn't to, too which isn't I mean, that's not too far removed from nine and three. No, I mean it's the no, same I, same realm. Yeah, I, I I could see them losing the opener to Houston randomly, Texas, Iowa State, Baylor all getting them and then or if, you know, maybe they beat Houston but some other random team somehow gets them that maybe Oklahoma State, heck, well, you know, people, uh, people in the know, like kind of some college football expert type people are kind of saying Oklahoma State's better than people think, which, I mean, they could be. I mean, it depends on their quarterback play, but. Well, I'm uh, actually, yeah. I'm actually starting to waffle on Oklahoma State because they're going to play two quarterbacks, which means they don't, which means. I mean, they're going to settle on one. I mean, my well, eventually, is, eventually, but yeah. didn't he say that he's going to go into the season playing them both? He didn't say that. He said that they have a plan for the Oregon State game next week, but that's all he's going to say, that he and Sean Gleason, the new offensive coordinator, they have a plan for their quarterbacks, but that's all he's going to say right now. So, yeah, you would. it sounds like they're going to both get some time, but he didn't say that specifically as far as I know. I, and, and I think, I think we, can, we can safely judge by context, and we're talking about Oklahoma State here, it's, it's not like they can't come up with you know, a starter because, because you know, Drew Brown and Spencer Sanders are just so freaking good. If, if Drew Brown was good, he wouldn't have been beaten out by Taylor Cornelius last year. Um, so I just, I, I know it's, it's I don't know. Ter- I, that's it's tough too because I mean Gundy. It seemed like he always had Cornelius. He's like, you know, you've been here forever. We're gonna reward you, and he put him at starter, and he played well enough to where Cornelius like, yeah. was solid. He was solid last right. year, right? Like he, he didn't, he wasn't ever egregiously bad enough for where Gundy would bench him when he was protected. He was very effective. Oh yeah, I mean he. Yes, yes, he was an incredibly inconsistent player but the entire team was because they were Jekyll and Hyde they played really well against some of the best teams they played and then they would have disaster games against like Kansas State 
It's like, why, why are you not just blowing the doors off Kansas State? You, you beat Texas. <laughs> like, you almost beat Oklahoma, yet you're having trouble with TCU and Kansas State. So, but I really do subscribe to the, to the notion. I know it's a, it's a sports cliche at this point in time, but if you got two quarterbacks, you don't got any quarterbacks. Like, I mean, this is imminently true. Um, there's, just, there's just so many problems that, that can occur with that. There's, uh, you got a lot of guys getting different reps with different guys. Um, chemistry issues and all that. And I just, I don't know, I, I, I picked Oklahoma State fourth uh, to finish fourth in the Big 12 in the preseason. But now that they haven't really settled on a quarterback yet, I'm certainly starting to waffle there uh, because everyone knows how important that position is for an Oklahoma State offense. Well, as far as I know, and I'm not an expert on this, but I think the Oklahoma State fan base, and they wanted this last year, I mean, they wanted it to be Spencer Sanders and just go, just go with it because he's such a highly touted recruit and he's talented. I think they just want the Spencer Sanders era to begin. Uh, and I, but, I cannot believe that yeah. he didn't, he didn't throw a single pass last year. Didn't play him at all. I, I don't, I don't get that. I don't either. Not, not, not even one bit unless I guess like did it's possible. There just weren't any, like any situations where they could, I mean, did they blow a lot of teams out or, I mean, they could have played him against Missouri State in the first week of yeah. the season. At I mean, some he point. gets they got he literally gets four games, so there's not not much of a downside there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Drew Brown didn't even play against Missouri State in that game. I mean, Keandre Woodte, who was their backup quarterback, played, and so yeah, I again not an expert on Oklahoma State, know a little bit more about him maybe than the average fan, just because they're here in our market. And we, I, you know, we cover them here. I'm sure the Oklahoma State fan base and they would know a lot more about this and they would, but I I'm, I'm pretty sure that's kind of the standard is that everyone's kind of surprised and annoyed that that Gundy did not play Sanders at all last year. Just because especially because of the redshirt rule. I mean, he could have and still redshirted, which is yeah. All well, right. We we talk about OU worst case scenario and then we go in 5 minutes on Oklahoma State's quarterback situation. Uh, <laughs> you can only you can only get that on West of Everest, baby. This is why this is the big season preview podcast. It's big, it's long. It's a season preview. Let's do best case scenario. And since you went first with the last one, I'll go with this one, and then you can kind of add on where I missed some things. I mean, best case scenario, Bill Biedenboe uses his superpowers to bring this offensive line up to a dominant form by midseason, kind of like he always kind of has recently. You know, Creed Humphrey and the rest of the gang plow the way for Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon. They keep Jalen Hurts clean as he is able to execute, you know, more designed open throws in this Lincoln-Riley offense. Yeah, I think also best case scenario, Hertz plays with a Kyler Murray like swagger, quiet but like a silent assassin, and you know he kind of proves that actually, yeah, I'm a I'm a pretty good quarterback, and that I can be drafted in the NFL, and somebody can take a shot at me at the next level. And on the defensive side of the ball, we see Oklahoma flying around. They're forcing you know at least double the amount of turnovers that Oklahoma forced last year. We see a lot more havoc. We see Oklahoma getting in the backfield, tackles for loss, some sacks, which is exactly what Grinch has kind of brought to his defenses since he's been a defensive coordinator. And record-wise, Oklahoma goes unbeaten in the regular season. They make that playoff yet again. But this time going into the playoff, Grant, there's a little more confidence because that defense is not ranked 129th against the pass. What am I missing? Nothing. I think that's good. I can definitely add to it. This one was fun. I enjoyed writing this one up. Because I, I, I think, you know, I usually like to, uh, with these questions, I, I did this all the way back before 2017, 
uh, when when we were I think maybe talking about what's what's the best the best way that season could play out, and I always envisioned them kind of having like a season like um, like 2014 Oregon did. That was the Marcus uh, the Marcus Mariota Heisman Trophy winning team that lost in the national title uh, to Ohio State, and it kind their season really did kind of play out a lot like that Oregon season. They dropped they dropped a game at home to an unranked team that no one thought could beat them. Um, and then otherwise, they sort of ran through their schedule. They did have some issues kind of in the middle part of their schedule, but um, offensively were totally unstoppable. And and then, of course, uh, ran into Georgia in the, in the playoff. But, Lee, in the best-case scenario, here is how I could see this season playing out if we're talking about the best possible thing that could happen. So Jalen Hurts and the offense, they take a relative step back just because I think that's a given, but they are still the best in the country. Which, I th- which is certainly possible, even if they do take a step back. Uh, in that situation, that means the skill talent and the talent up front is probably just way too much for other teams to deal with. Um, I think the defense is still going to give up some head scratchers and a lot of yards and some big plays, but they're top 10 in the country and tackles for loss and takeaways. And you know they're able to navigate a relatively easy Big 12 slate and schedule without a ton of problems. 13-0, Big 12 champs. And then also, out of nowhere, something that we're, we don't expect, which certainly happens in college football every now and then, Clemson and Alabama each drop a game. Both still get into the college football playoff, but they each drop a game, and Oklahoma is the number one seed in the college football playoff, playing against the number four Big, uh, Big Ten or Pac-12 champion, winning that game and setting up a shot at the two kings, one of the two kings for the national title. And I will not go further than that, but... I liken that trajectory to what the 2015 Clemson Tigers did, Lee. Uh, they came into the season ranked number 12. They had um, a relatively inexperienced team, but a lot of talent, a lot of skill position talent. They had a pretty manageable schedule that they ran through without really any problems whatsoever. And of course, beat OU uh, as the number one seed in the, in the college football playoff and then lost a classic to Alabama in the national title game. I think that's all... You know, obviously that's a lot to, you know, to go right there, but well, I that's cert- the category. I, I could see a lot scenario. of that happening. That is the absolute best case scenario this season. Yeah, I like that you're doing best case scenario, but you're trying to make it realistic about not just hypothetical stuff, things that you could happen. You're being realistic with the defense, the offense, and you're exactly right. Yeah, they could take a step back offensively and still be the best offense in college football. And, and, I, uh, and I do uh, think it's mm-hmm. and I while I think it's it's probably unlikely, I think Alabama and Clemson both could lose a game. Um, there's there's pressure. I like for that it. part of it, too. You took into I, account the uh, the uh, the landscape of college football outside of Oklahoma, which I didn't think of. I think um, I think Alabama losing a game is more likely than Clemson losing a game just by virtue of schedule. Um, but I, I, I try to think of uh, of different times. Lee, remember that. That Ohio State team that came in in 2015 off their national championship and they brought everyone back, Ezekiel Elliott, Joey Bosa, and whatnot, everyone kind of thought they would just sleepwalk into the playoff and then they just randomly lost to Michigan State. I mean, this stuff happens. And like these, that Ohio State team is much more talented than Clemson is coming into this season. Um, so, I mean, it could happen. Probably didn't have a better quarterback, though. I think Clemson's got him at quarterback. Most certainly did not have a better quarterback or receivers, but I Ohio yeah. State better at every other position, uh, certainly better at every position than Clemson going into this season. All right, we've reached our final OU category 
for our big season preview, and that is predicting Oklahoma's final regular season record. I believe the past two seasons I've nailed this part, 11-1. and one. So, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'll say 11-1 and one yet again, and I don't think, I really don't think Oklahoma's going to lose to Texas this year. Don't have any groundbreaking reasons why, just, you know, kind of a, a homer-type feeling that Oklahoma's not going to fall two years in a row at the Cotton Bowl. But, you know, with the new quarterback, that's not as talented as the previous two guys. Got a new defense that's, you know, probably going to be a little better, but still it's, it's probably not going to be a very good defense. The ingredients are there for Oklahoma to lose, lose a game and uh, just hopefully not two games. So I'm going to stick with what I've said the past two seasons. I'm going to say Oklahoma, loses, uh, Oklahoma goes 11-1 and one in the regular season. How about I'm right, you? I'm right there with you. I will say eleven and one. Um, yeah, I, I just I, this is this is just not that difficult of a schedule, and I think OU this is this is the most talent I think they've had up and down the roster and in a really long time, and I think that that depth and that talent is going to really start to show itself in, in the latter half of the Big Twelve schedule. I think it's going to start becoming apparent that OU is kind of separating from everyone else in terms of talent, speed, skill, all of that stuff, with really only Texas able to, to challenge them in that regard. And I think they'll probably they'll drop uh, one of these three games, UCLA, Texas, and Baylor. They'll lose one of those three games. All right, that's all the Oklahoma topics we have. Now we move on to the Big 12. Just a few topics, Big 12 related, just kind of overarching, a couple of team things, a couple of uh, I really just won you know, who's going to play in the title game. Grant, we'll start with uh, you know overrated, underrated. Which team right now in the Big 12 is kind of underrated? Which team do you think is going to be better than is expected? Okay, this one was tough for me because I've been pretty outspoken about just sort of what I think about the Big 12 this season. Um, I, I, was, I was really thinking Baylor, but it, it seems like everyone kind of thinks that Baylor is going to be pretty good this season. And so I'm actually going to go with Iowa State, not because I think that they're being disrespected or anything like that, but because I think they objectively should be favored over Texas at this point in time. As I, I think they should be the clear number two in the conference going into the year. Um, and, and I understand that that's, that was Texas's position last season, and they bring back Sam Ellinger. Um, I just, you know, I think, I think Texas is, is really going to take a step back this year, and I think Iowa State is going to play the best defense in the conference, and I think Brock Purdy is really freaking good. They have, they're, they're good at quarterback, and they got the best defense in the conference. That's a really powerful combo, and I think, that's, I, I think that, that's enough for me for them to clearly be the number two team going into the year. That's good. That's a little outside the box, but it's a, you explained it, it well because, yeah, Iowa State, nobody's really sleeping on I, Iowa State, I, yeah. but... Yeah, uh, but Texas has been, I mean, ahead of Iowa State in a lot of people's minds, including my own, is based on my Big 12 preseason rankings. For me, I am going to go with Baylor, mainly because Baylor, they were picked to finish sixth in the preseason media poll, and I had Baylor at number four in my poll. And I realized that those teams, I think, four through six, were only separated by very few votes. So I, it, it's kind of, you know, take your pick in there. But, you know, Baylor was the sixth team, so... I'm going to go Baylor. I mean, they have, I think they have the fourth best quarterback in the Big 12 in Charlie Brewer, and he might be even better than that. Well, I mean, we'll see. I know think PFF had a pretty high rating on him for last year. So I'm, I'm going to go Baylor as uh, the team that I think is being a little bit underrated right now. That'll be better than, uh, better than expected. We're going to go to overrated team now. 
and I'll begin here. And and I think I was on this last year too. But uh, you know, TCU was picked fourth in the media poll. And again, I don't think TCU is going to be that good this year. I got the Frogs at number seven in my Big Twelve preseason poll. And I've said this before on the podcast. I'll say it again. It's all based on quarterback. Gary Patterson still has not announced his starter as of this recording. And it sounds like it's down to Alex Delton and true freshman four-star player Max Duggan. I'm going to guess if you're a TCU fan, I bet you're rooting for Duggan to win the job because of obvious reasons. Delton's just not a very good throw over the football. Kansas State, what he put on tape there was maybe one of the worst passers in Power 5. So, you know, if it's Delton, I'm pretty confident about this pick. If Duggan starts, though, you know, maybe he'll be maybe he'll be good. You know, if he's good and solid, then I think TCU will be good and solid because that defense is always going to be pretty good, too. But, you know, if it's Delton, again, I just I can't imagine the Frogs being a contender if Alex Delton's their starting quarterback. Who's your overrated team? Texas. It's Texas. Uh, they, <laughs> Texas, it's always Texas. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's not always Texas. It's just I thought, you know, they, they played 10 games last year that were decided by a touchdown or less. Ten of their games, and they went seven and three in those games. Um, you know, they were one of the least explosive teams in the country last season, as we've mentioned. Not a single play last year over fifty yards. They lost. They lost outside of their quarterback by far their best offensive player and little Jordan Humphrey. I think. I mean, looking at the roster, the only hope they have for explosion and on the offensive side right now is hoping true freshmen emerge. And I. It seems like a lot of stock is being put in an offensive line that was frankly bad last year trying to block guys up front in the run game. They were not good. They were bad at it. Um, maybe maybe Parker Braun is the, miss, is the missing link. He's the all-ACC guard from Georgia Tech. I wonder, you know, the difference in scheme. He was, he was blocking for a triple option offense. Um, is that going to be different? Does that have any sort of impact on it? Um, is he going to be the missing link? You know, I, I honestly, I doubt it. Uh, Sam Ellinger has struggled to be accurate down the field in his career. There's a reason they don't have a lot of explosion in the passing game, and I got to think it's because Ellinger is just not really that capable of consistently delivering passes accurately down the field. And I think that's going to catch up eventually. Getting very, very large 2014 Oklahoma vibes from this team. You go into a, you're coming into a season uh, where you just beat a, a heavily regarded SEC team in the Sugar Bowl. Um, completely overlooking some ancillary stats over the course of the season in which you were pretty fortunate to be in the, in the positions that you were. Um, they look like a team to me that's a year away. And I think Texas, is, they're going to get there eventually. They're recruiting too well at this point not to. Um, but, I mean, this is a team that was really fortunate to go 10-4 and four last season. And they graduate a lot of experience, and they graduate, frankly, their best player on offense last season. And I think that's going to be really difficult for them to replace. I could be wrong just by dint of them having lots of talent, but they had lots of talent last year, too, and they were a really inefficient team. And that's, it's, going to, it's going to catch up to them eventually. Well done. Maybe a really good argument for that. And I still am sticking with Texas in the Big 12. But the the evidence that I hear more, it's it's kind of making me lean more towards yeah this this might be an overrated team. But then also at the same time, I watch I watch a Florida team on Saturday night who's ranked eighth in the country, and I think to myself, yeah, you know what, Texas is probably better than them. They're they're <laughs> cer- certainly <laughs> better, out, yeah. certainly better at at completing forward passes. That is that is for certain. Man, all right, Grant, who's going to play in the Big Twelve title game? Who you got? 
Uh, it's going to be OU and Iowa State, and OU is going to beat them like a drum twice this season. Ooh, wow. Just coming in hot. Uh, I, I had OU Texas 1-2 in my preseason poll, so I'll go with that. I know it's boring, but I'll say a rematch, OU Texas in the Big 12 title game. And, I mean, we both – well, I guess we'll get to it here in a second. I mean, I can't remember. In the past, have we picked the Big 12 champ, or did we just kind of leave it out there who's going to play in the game? I, I've forgotten. I don't know. I think really I think OU is going to win the Big Twelve. I think they should yeah, be the I think they should be the prohibitive favorite until yeah, someone too. comes up and takes it. I think they really should be the favorite. I think last year uh, was was a little more shoddy than this upcoming season in terms of that. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if anyone can can take that next step and take it from them. And I, you know, like I said, I don't think Texas is there yet. All right, that transitions us now into the national scene of college football and i'm just going to preface this with grant has a lot more in-depth thoughts on these categories than i have i made sure to put all my time into the oklahoma and big 12 stuff and then ran out of time before we did the national stuff so uh, this could be a, a fun exercise of me just throwing stuff against the wall randomly whereas grant you have a little more measured and, and nuanced thoughts on certain things i know you have said off off uh, off air that this year is pretty similar to last year as far as predicting national national stuff. But I just wanted to throw that out there to let you all know that don't don't really hold me to these predictions. And even if I'm right on some, I'll, I will say that I don't have a, much of a right to come back and then pump it up and say, yep, I told you so. Because again, I'm kind of just guessing on a lot of these things. If I feel confident about one of them, I'll let you know. So with that being done, Grant, let's throw it over to you. We have the same document in front of us now. I'm going to let you run. You're going to host this national part of it. So you start. What are our categories? All right. Like first one is, who is the most overvalued team in the country coming into the 2019 version of college football? Hmm. Lee, and I just, I, this is actually tough, and here's why. And we, we mentioned that um, this season looks a lot like last season. And what I meant by that is, I think you can draw a pretty clear line kind of after like the number seven team, Michigan, and everyone behind them is just kind of a toss-up, essentially, that I think there's a pretty big gap between number seven and the rest of the country. And last year did play out like that. The um, The preseason rankings, it didn't necessarily hold up in that exact way, but a lot of the teams, it did hold up like that. I think Michigan kind of jumped up. Michigan and LSU sort of jumped up into that top, and other guys like Wisconsin and and I think Auburn took a step back in that regard. Um and I think there's just there's a, there's going to be a lot of parity outside of the top seven or eight teams in the country. And so when I look at the AP Top 25 poll, a team that I just that I just think doesn't belong in in what they've accomplished or the lack of what they've accomplished up up to this course, I keep coming back to Oregon. I just I don't get Oregon. I don't get Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert to me just is to me just feels like 2019's version of Jake Locker. He is not a particularly accurate passer. If he's so good, why hasn't, you know, why hasn't his career been better at Oregon? Why did he only complete 55% of his passes last season? Um, if Oregon's offensive line is so great, and which everyone is talking about, why were they one of the worst teams in Power 5 last year running the football? Why did, why did Herbert get hit a lot last year? Um, they don't have a ton of talent at receiver. I know they do have, they, they have a fairly talented defense that, that returns a lot of experience. But for a team that has that has accomplished really nothing and plays a lot of their toughest games on the road in the Pac-12 this season, I the only reason I, I can I can think that people are high on Oregon Lee 
is because people have convinced themselves they think Justin Herbert is a first-round NFL draft pick, and his results in college just don't bear that out at all. Okay, so as I look over the top 25, Oregon came to my mind too, and I have some Oregon PTSD because in last season's big season preview pod, I believe I had Oregon as an underrated team. I think they were at the a fringe top 25 team to begin the the 2018 season and I kind of thought you know because of Justin Herbert and I think their schedule was pretty manageable I thought they could have been a team that jumped up and could have maybe been a potential Pac-12 title contender and maybe make the playoff and then Oregon ended up being what I mean what did they go like eight and four last year or something like that or seven and five maybe nine and three they were eight and four and won their bowl game to finish nine and four so I'm kind of with you on it I I don't really get the Justin Herbert thing, too. I think he has all the tools. He's got a really strong arm. He's athletic. He's big. But, yeah, the accuracy numbers just aren't there. And then I think, okay, again, I know it doesn't matter to you, but Daniel Jones continues to have a pretty good preseason, and his accuracy numbers in college weren't there either. So it's really bizarre to me that in the preseason he's throwing the ball really well. We'll see how that translates into the regular season, even though I guess Eli Manning's going to play, but that's beside the point. So that that's a weird thing. So I'm with you on Oregon, uh, but I'm going to go different, though. Just, again, throwing things against the wall. What about – I know you said the top seven is kind of like the – you think there's a big difference between the top seven and everybody else. I think the easy one would be Florida. It sounds like maybe they're kind of what Florida always is based on the last game against Miami. I didn't see much of it, but not a very yeah, good offense, I, probably a pretty good defense. I wrote my Oregon bit before the game on Saturday night, too, and so now I, I – Florida, you definitely got to throw that. That team's really going to struggle against anyone who plays a lick of defense. That's the first game of the year. People are going to get better, most likely. So, I mean, they got UT Martin next up in a couple weeks, and they'll kind of reset, and they got to play Kentucky, who's probably not going to be as good this year because all their good players are gone. But uh, so I'm not going to go Florida just because it's, I don't want to say obvious, but um, there's another team that's actually in that top seven that I think is, you know, what if this is actually kind of a disaster for this team's standards where kind of like an Oklahoma disaster would be, you know, nine and three, eight and four, even 10 and two would almost be a disaster. And I'm thinking of a team like Ohio State. Are we sure Justin Fields is a good quarterback? I don't know. He's never really played in anything meaningful. We have a brand new head coach there in Ryan Day. I don't know a whole lot about Ohio State. And I don't know much about Justin Fields. When I saw him play for Georgia a couple times, he didn't really impress me that much with his throwing ability. He was more of a, if my first read's not there, I'm running the ball. So Ohio State to me is a team that, I, again, haven't done as much research as I should have, but keep an eye out. Maybe maybe they're they're not going to be as good as, as a top five type team. And so that's my throwing against the wall random prediction of who might be a little bit overrated. Is that the yeah. category? Overrated? Yeah. Yeah, Lee, and I and I think I think that's a good pick. And then once we get into when we're talking more about conferences as a whole, I'll go more into that because I have a lot to say about the Big Ten. So we can we'll we'll get into that. All right. What's next? Oh, nope. Got to bring it up here real quick. Okay. Oh, easy. Who's the most underrated team in the country coming in, Lee? All right, you're going to go first again because I need to look at the top 25. <laughs> okay. And so, oh, I said we we're going to talk about the Big Ten later. Well, just kidding. We'll talk about it right now. <laughs> and so I, this, is, this is tough again because I, don't, I really don't have a ton of problems with, with the AP top 25 this year. I, I think it generally looks pretty okay for the most part. 
But Lee, I'm going to go with this one because I think they're they're kind of a sleeper, and this this is a shot in the dark, and this is me throwing you know throwing something against the wall because I want to be right. I, I want to kind of I, I want to throw something out there in, in hopes that it's right, and I'm going to go with Michigan State. Um, I think it's very possible that they are going to have the best defense in college football this season. They return they return virtually everybody. Um, off a defense that I think was third in the country last year in total defense, yards, yada, 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 stuff like that. Um, of course, they were atrocious on the offensive side yeah. of the ball last season. Yeah. I mean, really terrible. So, like, I am not, <laughs> I'm not discounting this at all. I'm not at all. Having that been said, when they went to the college football playoff in 2015, they were average at best on offense. Uh, Brian Lewerke is not a particularly good college quarterback if you look at his resume and what he has done at this level, although he has put together some nice games. He, he, he was battling through an arm injury pretty much all of last season, uh, which has come to light. He is healthy now, they say. Mark D'Antonio, who I think is absolutely, arguably, one of the top five or six coaches in all of college football, he made a lot of changes on the staff. He just kind of reshuffled everything, a very Mark D'Antonio thing to do. Um. And I think, I think it's going to be good enough to the point where Michigan State is going to be able to generate some yards and some offense. And I think playing in the Big Ten, that still hasn't fully transitioned over uh, to the ISO spread raid and, and all of that stuff. I think they're going to be able to shut down a lot of teams in the Big Ten. They're not going to give up a lot of points or yards in that respect. They're going to physically dominate some teams in the trenches, especially on defense. Um, I think Michigan State is, is the sleeper. I, I think... And when it happens, I don't think people should be that surprised because it's going to be very Michigan State. D'Antonio is such a is such a great coach, and yeah. um, their schedule though I'm looking at it, it's yeah, it's, it's tough. not easy. It's tough schedule. Yeah, and so and then we'll, we'll get into that because um, when we talk more about the Big Ten, because the Big Ten pretty much everyone has a brutal schedule in the Big Ten. Hmm, okay, um, and um, we'll we'll get there. But I, I think Michigan State has the look of a team that is just utterly dominant on defense. All right, how, how I'm going to answer this question, I'm going to go back to my comfort zone a bit. Just looking at the, the top 25 currently, and I know I could probably pull somebody from outside the top 25 if I wanted to get really creative, but again, haven't done a whole lot of research on this, so I'm going to just stick with the top 25. And I look at number 21 in the top 25 for the AP, and that's Iowa State. Again, know a lot about Iowa State, comfortable with them, and the way I'm going to answer this is, I think they're better than a lot of the teams that are ranked ahead of them. I think they're a better team than Iowa. I think they're better than Wisconsin. Even though you just talked about Michigan State, I, I think Iowa State's probably better than Michigan State. UCF, Auburn, uh, maybe. Definitely not. But, they're not, but, no. But Penn State, yeah. I'd take Iowa State over Penn State. Utah, maybe, maybe. And then you, can, you start getting into Washington's, A&M, Oregon, things like that, and then it's like, ah, I don't know about that. But I think Iowa State's better than I think Iowa State a handful better, of those teams ahead of them. I think so Iowa State's go with better them. than Oregon. I think Iowa State's definitely better yeah, than Oregon. I, I actually feel better about that than pretty much anybody else between them. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fair. I I generally think that Iowa State was properly ranked in, in the top 25, but... You're, you're still Iowa State. They don't have any sort of name recognition. And, yeah. You know, those who follow the Big 12 know that they've gotten a lot better the last couple of years, and I'm sure nationally some people realize that, that uh, they're playing better, but it's still Iowa State. What's next? All right, what do we got here? Lee, who's going to win the Heisman? Okay. Well, as we've established multiple times on this podcast, it's a quarterback award, so you decide which quarterback is going to win it, and the easy pick is, is it going to be Tua or Trevor? 
I think, I mean, obviously Trevor Lawrence is a much easier slate. Worst defenses to go against, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to go with Tua just because a lot of people thought he should have won it last year, and in any other season he would have won it. It's just he had to have that kind of season with Kyler Murray having an incredible year. So I'm going to say that uh, Tua bounces back, gets his Heisman, maybe, maybe Clemson. It's hard to imagine Clemson losing a game though, but. Man, Trevor Lawrence was so good, but I know that you've had your kind of reservations because we're basing a lot of it off of that one game, uh, the national title game where we were so good. I don't have reservations about Trevor. Like I think Trevor That's Lawrence right is, put is it, yeah. freaking awesome. I just I I'm not I'm not ready to to cement him as the best ever to ever play the game like a lot of people are already. He didn't his 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 performances in the playoffs were certainly outliers. Okay, uh, oh, so over I'm, last season. So yeah, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Tua. And uh, leave it at that. And I have a, I have one kind of. It's not really a dark horse, but another guy in mind that I'll, I'm, I'll let you go because I have it. I mean, I'm guessing you're going to pick either Tua or Lawrence too. But uh, uh, go ahead. Who's your pick for Heisman? Tua. I, I'm going to take Tua as well. Um, I just I think it's just going to be because of overwhelming stats. He's just his his receiving core is is just ridiculous. I, it's it's not it's not particularly fair how much talent they have at receiver coming back. So. Um, I don't know. I, I would with Sarkeesian there. I'd like to think he's going to be smart and and leverage their biggest advantage, which is Tua throwing the ball to those freaky receivers. And I think he's going to put up monster numbers. I could see Trevor Lawrence sitting out a lot of second halves and not having like over. He's he's probably going to have pretty amazing efficiency stats, but I don't know if he's going to rack up like the the total numbers that Tua is going to. Couple other quarterbacks just to kind of keep an eye on because I mean, what do you look for? You look for a team that's going to probably win their conference, make the playoff, so win a lot of games, and who's playing quarterback for them. So that's you kind of narrow it down. Jake Fromm at Georgia, he's gotten better every single year. Now Jim Chaney's gone. No way he's ever going to put up the stats. No way. That's the thing. I don't know what kind of offense they're going to run. I'm going to guess it's going to be pretty similar because they're going to turn the, around and hand it to DeAndre Swift a lot. So, yeah, I, I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll unleash him a little bit, let him throw more. But, yeah, the, the stats thing with him. But, I mean, he's he's a really good quarterback. Uh, and and also, also too, no returning receivers as well. Okay. And then also, too, if you're going to go ahead and buy in, you want to buy into the whole Jim Harbaugh is actually going to just kind of be hands-off with the Michigan offense and let, uh, was it Gaddis? Is that him? Who's yeah, Josh Gaddis. Let him just do his thing. You know, maybe Shea Patterson actually is able to put up a bunch of numbers and a, a more – spread type pass happy offense for Michigan and that's a team that is getting a lot of love and and could win the Big Ten and make the playoff too so maybe Shea Patterson's a, a quarterback too that you could take a flyer on to you know to win the Heisman Trophy as well yeah I, I really do think um, if I had to throw guys out here right now who I think is, is the best bet of course you got you got Tua Trevor and I and I really do think Jalen Hurts is should probably be third behind those guys in terms of of likelihood um, let's see. I'm going through here. Justin Fields. I, I think you can throw that in there too. Maybe. Um, I, I I have the same reservations about him as you do. Uh, Shea Patterson. I think. Uh, Joe Burrow at LSU. Most certainly not. Um, and then maybe Ellinger. Looking if, at if, the if, Heisman if, if, odds yeah. right now, just kind of trying to get like, get a good value pick because I mean Hertz is pretty high up there. I mean Hertz is behind. Tua, Lawrence, and Justin Fields, the most updated ones I'm looking at. This could be a little old. This is from, oh, yeah, this is old. This is from July. Eh, come on, be better. Be better Heisman odd stories. 
a little more update. Okay, August 19th. This is better. So we got uh, Tua and Lawrence are the same at plus 260. Then Justin Fields at plus 900, so 9 to 1. We got Hertz at 10 to 1. I just Hertz's value is not good enough for me. Like, because he could have a good year, but also, I mean, back to back to back, Oklahoma quarterbacks winning the Heisman. I, that'd be tough for voters almost. You look down, I mean, Shea Patterson's 25 to 1. And, God, what about, I just, uh, there's one guy I was looking at that could be a massive flyer that I clicked off of the page that was like 35 to 1. I have one that I think is, in, okay. in a perfect world, is realistic. Okay. Jacob, Jacob Eason at Washington. Oh, okay, yeah. That, that'd be a, a long shot that that has a legitimate, yeah, because, I mean, Washington can make the playoff, win yep. a lot of games. Yep, and I think, you know, it's Jake Browning has put up big numbers in Washington's system, and I think mm-hmm. Jacob Eason is almost certainly better than Jake Browning. So, and another long shot that's probably not going to pan out, but he's a good player, and I haven't looked at their schedule at all. But the way things ended last year, people are going to have reservations about putting them in the playoff. But Ian Book at Notre Dame, good player, thirty-five to one odds, so a long shot, but on a team that you know if they go undefeated, they're in the playoff. Ian, Ian Book is one of those guys that I think he gets every last bit of his ability out of his body. And I, like, I, I'm just not sure how much he can improve because he's he's not particularly great throwing it downfield. Um, he, he's an accurate thrower in the in the short and in the, in the intermediate. Uh, but when he was tasked to throw it down the field, sit in the pocket and throw it down the field, that's when he struggled, which is why they really you know uh, they really shied away from that a lot last year. And of course, when you saw against Clemson, them being put behind schedule, they they couldn't keep up at all. He he he's just he he and and he had some big explosive receivers to throw it to downfield, and he wasn't able to do it. So I, I think Ian Book is solid. Ian Book's a guy who could certainly have won like a national title, like quarterbacking Alabama's teams earlier this decade. Um, but if you're if you're relying on him to, you know, to go score for score in a shootout, which I, I think this sport is certainly trending towards, I don't think he's a guy who can do it. All right. Notice how we also went through that whole thing, basically naming all the quarterbacks that had somewhat of a shot or a long shot. None of us mentioned uh, Justin Herbert. <laughs> So he, we're, I don't, we're both kind of out that on him. Good, he hasn't. I just like, wanted to point that out. Do do something in college that's impressive, and like he's and, uh, he's and, sixteen and, to one right now. And don't just be six five two forty, the old school prototypical NFL quarterback, which I am convinced is pretty much the only reason why Oregon is getting all the love. <laughs> and it's silly. All Everyone right, just we got a couple more. Got a couple more categories to go nationally. What's next one? Lee, we're gonna pick each Power Five conference champion. All right, I'll make this quick because, again, I uh, haven't done a whole lot of you know, research on this. So I'm going to go Big 12, Oklahoma, SEC, Alabama, ACC, Clemson, all the easy ones out of the way, uh, Pac-12. So that's where it's uh, – a, a, yeah, I, Chris Peterson's great. He's a new quarterback. Ah, man, they didn't win it last year. Or did they win it last year? Did Washington they win did it win it last year. Yes, Washington oh, was the Pac-12 champion. How much I paid attention to Pac-12 football, which is not a lot. Man, I kind of – no, they're not going to do that. I I kind of want to be different with the Pac-12 and take Utah, but I'm not going to. I'm going to go that, Washington. That's not being different. I mean, Utah was picked by the media to win the Pac-12. No. They're okay. the favorites well, to win the Pac-12. Well, I'm going to go Washington, though. And then, what am I missing? Big Ten? Big Ten. Man, I don't I don't like Michigan, but I think if, if it's ever going to happen, it's got to be this year. So I'm going to go Michigan in the Big Ten. Just I'll be, almost chalk across the board, basically, with these uh, these conference picks. What about you? 
All right. Well, so obviously Clemson and Alabama are the easy ones. I am just going to go ahead and stick with them. Um, I There's certainly a scenario that I could see. And of course, I mean, it almost played out last season. I could certainly see Alabama losing to Georgia in the SEC title game. Um, but overall, Alabama is, is the best team in the SEC, top to bottom. Um, so that, so uh, Big 12, I think OU is going to win. I already mentioned that. And so uh, we'll, we will go with the Pac-12 again, Lee. And I'm also picking Washington, but I definitely have a little more rationale behind this. Lee, pretty much all, uh, all of Washington's tough games this season are at home. And, and when I say pretty much, I, I really mean pretty much. So, for instance, um, USC comes to Seattle on September 28th. The one tough game that they have in conference on the road is at Stanford a week later. Stanford's a team I think could uh, be in for a bit of a rebuilding season. Uh, they're number 25 in the AP poll, basically just on reputation. Um, but other than that, Lee, Oregon, of course, the... Um, the team that everyone just kind of loves in the Pac-12, they come to Seattle in the middle of October. And then Utah, the the conference favorite, also comes to Seattle. And then, I mean, their road games at Oregon State, at Colorado, at BYU. Uh, Washington State comes to Seattle for the Apple Cup, last game of the season. Um, they have a really favorable schedule. I just, and, and I think, I think they have the they really have that conference in a vice-like grip. They've been, they've been the clear class of that conference the last three or four years. And I know Sam Darnold and USC won the title there uh, a couple years ago, but I, Washington is on a different level than everyone else right now in that conference, and I think they're going to win the conference. All right. Who was your Big Ten pick? Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about them. So, Lee, this oh. is where it gets super interesting. Uh, you know, not to get too far into it now, because I guess we're going pretty long here. Um, I think I think the Big Ten is going to just pulverize each other this season, just absolutely murder each other, um, and it's going to be really entertaining to watch. So I think kind of that that foursome in the in the Big Ten East of Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State, they're all going to kind of beat up on each other a little bit. And I think the team with the best defense, which is going to be Michigan State, is going to be the one standing at the end. That's essentially Michigan that's essentially State. my beat. Wow. I think Michigan State is going to win the Big Ten this year. Yeah, man, that's that's the hottest take I've heard. Well, because you got, every, I mean, it it just seems so Mark D'Antonio. Everyone is just everyone is finally jumping on the Michigan bandwagon. It's either them or them or Ohio State, and then Michigan State sitting sitting down there at number eighteen, even behind Penn State in the preseason polls, and they got potentially the number one defense in the country, and they just got a lot of they have a lot of you know senior experience coming back. They were just killed by injuries last season. Everyone's healthy now. I I like Michigan State. I think if you're looking okay. for a sleeper pick, this is kind of the obvious one, and I think people may look back at this at at you know at the end of the season and say and say, eh, why didn't we see that one coming? All right, that's good. I like it. No, you have uh, some good reasoning behind your picks, so you're not just throwing it out there like I am with all of these picks, basically. What's next? What is next? Good question. Pick the playoff. <laughs> all right, again, since uh, you're going to have a lot more say on this than I am, I'm just going to pick my playoff, and it's it's pretty boring. I'm going to go three of the same teams that were in last year, OU, Bama, and Clemson. And so my fourth team, I know last year at this time, I picked Wisconsin, and it was just a terrible pick. And I, you made me buy into Wisconsin because you convinced me and you yeah, made I'm some a, good I, arguments. Hey, I'm upset about that, And we too. were wrong. Upset about that, and too. And so I'm not – you'd think, oh, you're making some good arguments about Michigan State. I'm not going to buy into Michigan State. I just – mainly because their offense. I just – I can't imagine their offense being anything. So I'm going to 
go against everything of all fibers of my being because I just don't particularly like uh, the what this guy has done since he's been at this place relative to expectations. But the idea of Jim Harbaugh not being really involved with the offense, which I've heard from uh, I was listening to Barrett Salee recently, who's he's not a big Michigan guy either, and he said, you know. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it, essentially, that Jim Harbaugh has been hands-off with an offense because he thinks that Harbaugh, no matter what, will always have his hands all over the offense and, and making calls. So uh, I'm going to, you know, I'll take Harbaugh as his word. If, if he's away from the offense, I think that's a big thing because I think Michigan doesn't need him calling the offense. They need something different. I'm going to go Michigan as my fourth playoff team because, again, I think very surface level here, but if it's ever going to be a year, it's got to be this year when they got Ohio State at home, Urban Meyer's gone. They've changed the offense. They have an experienced quarterback. The defense, I, I'm assuming, is going to be good again. So I'm going to go Michigan as my fourth playoff team. Yeah, and I, you know, I I understand the the direction people are going with Michigan. It, it's logical and it makes sense. Um, having that been said, Lee, I think this is going to, you know, and and what will probably be a surprise to a lot of people at the end of the season, I think it's going to be Washington. Um, and I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated or anything, but I think they're going to be a nice, tight 12-1 and with that schedule. And like I said, I think the Big Ten champ is, is likely to have at least two losses because they're going to really beat up on each other. Um, I, don't, I do see Georgia losing a game at one point in time or another during the season and then losing to Alabama again the SEC title. I still think they, will, they would put a one-loss Pac-12 champ um, over like a two-loss non-conference champion Georgia. See a lot of people putting Georgia in the playoff this year. I I think that's a really bold prediction because you are if you do that you are pretty much you're pretty much predicting that Alabama and Georgia are both going to go twelve and zero in the regular season. Yeah, I, and I me, just that's that just, just seems incredibly statistically unlikely. Yeah, I just, don't I, think I, just it's I can't predict. I just I can't predict in August two teams from the same conference making the playoff. It's just I know that. Georgia and Bama are really good, but I, I just think that's it's just it's very unlikely to happen. Even though I guess it did happen you know, a couple of years ago, but still, it, it took some some bizarre things. It took to some have weird happen. stuff happening, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I just I don't like. I, I think it's kind of maybe it's not lazy. Maybe it's it's really giving credit to these two teams, but in a way, it is kind of lazy to me to think, oh yeah, these two teams are really good, therefore they're both going to make the playoff. It's like yeah, we get there's kind of an SEC bit of a bias there but I mean they really don't want to put two teams from the same conference in I, I don't think they do even though I guess they already did <laughs> one time so crap what do I know uh, and they man they got it wrong that year but then they could come in and say nope we got it right because the the team that was controversial won the national championship so yep kind of like the whenever they put Ohio State in that one year the first year of the playoff and they won it all yeah uh, all right so that's our playoff picks Who's going to so, win the national championship? National championship. I mean, should we make it a the same? You know, the clean sweep, a clean sweep of three uh, big season preview pods at West of Everest, and we both pick the same team every time. I, you know what? I, yeah, I'm going to do it. Uh, you're trying too hard. Actually, you know what? You can make legitimate claims for Clemson now. I think the last two years it was like, yeah, you go with Bama. If not, you're trying too hard. Now, I mean, there's legitimate arguments for Clemson. So, but I'm not going to make. Clemson as my pick I'm gonna go once again I think Bama's gonna win it all just because it's Alabama and now they're coming off a, a kind of an embarrassing loss in last year's title game they have a returning quarterback who's awesome you've brought up all the receivers that have come back and they're gonna reload on defense they always do so I'm gonna go Alabama as my national title my national been, champ and I hope I'm wrong 
keeping the tradition alive. Alabama gets revenge on Clemson, which is, you know, I, I think we should all just maybe try to take a moment and just and, and, and realize that, you know, hey, college football is not is not all about who wins the national championship. There's other great stuff about college football, other wonderful and interesting things that happen over the course of the season. College football is is cyclical. This happens. The history of college football suggests that there are eras like this where a couple teams just totally dominate. Um, it's it's possible that the the parity that we saw in the in the 2000s and maybe the early 2010s was was actually not normal for college football, and we're back into more normal college football territory uh, with these teams sort of dominating. You look over the course of the 80s with Miami dominating and Florida State in the 90s and and other dec- decades as well. Uh, this happens. And so um, it'll it'll shift over again, but you never know. Maybe maybe the shift will start again this season. Um, you never know what can happen in college football. That's why it's so fun. All right, before we go here, I see there's one more kind of category here. Do you even want to get into this? Do you have? I don't any really have. I, I I struggle to come up with something on this one. I don't I don't really have anything unless you do. So what's the category? Just so so everyone knows, so we don't keep yeah. it hanging. Yeah. What are some takes slash storylines leading into the season that you think are ridiculous? See, I don't. I think this is much more applicable to say the NFL than it would be to to college football. Yeah, I need to see some games first, and then maybe determine. Yeah, you because know, like yeah, yeah, you know, what are the storylines going into the season? Alabama and Clemson are are on a path again to play for the fifth straight season. That's not a ridiculous take. I no, think that's not at that's all. a very yeah. that's a very reasonable and correct take. Um, everyone's everyone's thinking that Michigan is the favorite in the Big Ten. That's a big storyline. Completely reasonable take. Um, I, I mean, mean that's, everyone. A lot of people are like Texas a lot. So I mean, I guess that could be one where you know, we, and we've gone into that the show, much. but we've but gone actually, into it. Like we've, but we've actually, though. I mean, if, if you go and you read a lot of these previews and you you read smart people and, and the words they write, I mean, there's there's not a slam dunk consensus on Texas at all. There's a lot no. of people looking at their peripheral stats from last year thinking, uh, they you know, they may have they may have won with some smoke and mirrors last year at times. I think people are kind of starting to realize that when they dig into the numbers. Yeah, so I'm with you. I don't really have a whole lot on this either. I think maybe after a week or two of college football, after we've watched a lot of these games and uh, there are some takes put out about certain teams about how good they are, and then maybe we see something different on film. Maybe then we could have this conversation again, but that'll come up organically, I think, when we have our, our later podcasts, especially when we start ranking our top 10 teams and doing all that fun stuff when the season begins, which is just, man, can't wait. This is good stuff. How about this? This actually just popped in my mind, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you an, an either-or question. I want you to pick one of, the, one of the two. Lee, gun to your head, if you had to pick, any sort of uh, you were watching a, a game of college football on TV, and you had the option of listening to Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet or Gus Johnson and Ch- and Joel Klatt. Who would you prefer to call the game? Oh wow, that's a great question. Ooh, man, I got you know what? I'm gonna go Herbstreet and Fowler. I'm not the biggest Gus Johnson guy anymore. I love Joel Klatt, but as I've gotten older, don't get me wrong. I mean, Gus Johnson is a staple. He's been around forever, and he does a nice job. But uh, I think Fowler and Herbstreit have really good chemistry, and I like Herbstreit a lot. And I think Fowler does just is fine calling the game. I, I I'm gonna go, even though I I love Klatt, and I'd, I'd love to have Klatt be the third person in that booth along with Fowler and Herbstreit. But uh, if I have to pick, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the ESPN guys. 
I was. I, I, I honestly, I assumed that you you would take Johnson and Clatt, and so I was gonna go in and talk about how good Fowler and Herb Street are together. But oh well, you said all I could say. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I mean, again, don't. I'm just. I'm not as into Gus Johnson as I used to be when I was in college and stuff, and he was doing all the basketball and even football. It, it's just his his kind of style is. It's fine, but it's, it's not kind of what I. It's not what I like as much anymore. His shtick works much better in basketball, I think. Yeah. Not not that he's you. bad with football. Like he's No, no, he's not. Yeah. He's he's very but. good. I mean, that you can't really go wrong, but if I again, if I had to pick as much as I'd want to hear Clat and his takes on things, I'm going to go, I mean, Herbstreit is just so good and Oh, by the way, I was I was wrong I think about not that this matters at all we're so far into this podcast, but uh, whatever I was talking about his uh, long form podcast with Clay Travis, I I guess it was his like senior year, or, like maybe even redshirt senior year where he thought about quitting, but then was voted captain. I thought it was his like sophomore junior year. Uh, so I was wrong about that. Not that it matters that much. But Jeez. He had to wait a long, a long time to get that quarterback job, which makes a lot more sense that he was named team captain now that I think about it, because you know, why would he be named team, team captain if he wasn't playing at all and he was like an underclassman? Anyways, uh, that's beside the point. Well, and so that's that is pretty much it for the topics that we have on the season preview special. I have one question for you though, and it's not college football related. Do you want to wait until later this week to talk about Andrew Luck, or should we do it now? Uh, let's let's wait. This we've gone way long, and we'll have a little more time, I think, on our our preview podcast about for Houston. So let's wait on that one. That's, okay, I mean, cool. I mean, Grant's a Colts fan, so he's going to have a lot of thoughts on this. And you know, I, I like Andrew Luck a lot too. So I mean, we all, everyone likes Andrew Luck. So we'll, so yeah, but, we'll, let's say that. But certainly for something later that time. I think, um, outside of the games being played this upcoming fall, uh, this may be the biggest story in sports in 2019. Actually, sure. Uh, so it, it's just, it's definitely going to be interesting to talk about. All right. Well, I hope you all enjoyed our big season preview podcast for the 2019 season. The third time we've done this. We've essentially gotten we're we're starting our third year of college football. Grant, I, I don't know what our anniversary is for our first show, but we're like two years into it. I think it was right around this time where we first did the uh, the first podcast, the big season preview for the 2017 season, and here we are now previewing the 2019 season. It's pretty cool. Flies we're by. Back. It's yeah. crazy. All right, we're back later this week to preview Week One against Houston. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.